Hi, I'm Dan Worth, and welcome to the latest episode of the TES International Podcast. Today's guest is Jenny Devine, an international head teacher who has worked in Italy, Colombia, and Ecuador, and is currently head of primary at the Montessori School Almira in Spain. In the episode, we chat about recruitment and how international schools can ensure they provide a transparent, open, and honest recruitment process for candidates on everything from salary levels and accommodation to what the job will actually entail, and why getting this right is especially important in a sector where a new hire may be moving halfway across the world to start a new job. We also touch on the topic of ghosting and why international schools need to recognise the damage that can be done by not properly engaging and giving feedback to all candidates in the recruitment process, not just those that are successful. Hi, Jenny. Welcome back to the TES International Podcast. Um, as I was saying, you are the first person I'm re-interviewing for the podcast. So hopefully that's an honour to you. Um, but fundamentally, honor. welcome back. Yes. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Dan. Um, I recently started work here in Almeria in Spain. Um, I'm now the head of primary, of a very small primary school, but uh, it's Montessori and British education, which is a really interesting mix. And um, I would say, you know, I'm here for calling from sunny Spain, but it's raining at the moment. So <laughs> but I'm doing great. Thanks. That's great. And um we should note as well, your, your dog, Charlie, wants to be on the podcast, but we have to say no, but he's going to make himself known a bit by barking occasionally. But I think that has a nice air of ambiance of, you know, this is this is working from home, right? So, Right, he'll pitch in occasionally when he yeah, has something yeah, to say. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, No, that's great. And obviously, so you've, you're in Spain now, like you said, but you've also worked in, in Italy, in Ecuador, Colombia, um, Scotland, I, remember, I seem to recall. So you've, you've yeah. got a great selection of places you've worked. And we're going to talk today about recruitment and transparent recruitment and how international schools can get their recruitment policies right around you know being I guess fair and open and ensuring candidates get the best understanding of what the school's about what they need right. to do to succeed there some of the things that aren't done so well perhaps in the sector where people some of the issues that can come up things like ghosting things about you know not being clear on salaries on how much you're actually you know or accommodation and things like that which I think right now we're in recruitment season very pertinent so why don't we set the scene a bit on that then? So you've been around, you've seen lots of different schools. Fundamentally, recruitment in social schools, is it, is it good? Is it done well? Or is it just complete mix match of, of things? I think, I think it's one of these things that in some, some schools absolutely get it right. And, um, and some schools, I think that the recruitment is, is, is not a real, really well thought out process. It's not a really, a really slick process. I th- also think it really depends on... Um, the school itself. I know that if some schools are in like a really key location or they might have a really great salary, they have something they, they really see as an international selling point. And other schools have uh, maybe have don't have that specific kind of jewel in their crown. And so sometimes the recruitment there can be a little bit um, a little bit more um, not not hit and miss, but a little bit more kind of ad hoc, as it were, because they maybe don't have the one thing that they know that the candidates are going to be um, brought to their school for. Yeah. So when starting from the position of being someone who's done recruiting, what are some of the things you always try and ensure you do with your job ads, both to be, I guess, fair to candidates and then also ensure that you are actually getting the right sort of candidates applying? Right. I think for me, the the the, the key thing to do is first decide um, 
you know, obviously be clear about what the post is. I think as, as much as you can narrow it down, you do get some jobs that are just primary school teacher, and that's really difficult for you to attract the candidates that you want. So I think it's useful, even if you can say, um, you know, um, early years teacher, uh, uh, key stage one teacher, lower key stage one, uh, two key um, teacher, anything that you can do to narrow that window a little bit is really useful. I think the one thing that I found useful also is identify three factors that you feel really really transmit your school um, ethos. For example, the last school I worked at, it was professional, positive, and flexible because I think that those were things that we really looked for. Other schools might have a different um, a different personal profile so that if you can put those things on your on your app on your job advert, then candidates are going to be able to, with a bit of self-reflection, see whether that's the kind of post that will um, will suit them. I think another thing that's important on a job advert is to put um, links to obviously links to websites, to put any anything that you have that's part of the package. Um, I think that where possible, at the you know, I think that there's sort of a bit of a trend at the moment to use this phrase competitive salary, but I think that as soon as you can be transparent with people about what the salary is, um, the better. I do know that sometimes putting a salary up there just some schools can feel they're on a little bit on a, of a back foot because it means they're competing against numbers and they might want to put those numbers in context. They might want to talk about other other um, plus points of those schools. But I think anything that you can put on the, the advert towards that is useful. Um, and I also think it's useful to include any any supplementary documents about, you know, you, you've got some schools have got guide um, like handbooks for new recruits. What is it like living in this place? They've got maybe almost like um, new recruit um, newspapers or uh, brochures and anything that like that. Not only does it give a, a potential candidate an idea of the school, it also really feels like this school has has, has is, is professional and it's got its got its act together. That, but you know what I mean. It's, it's it's that idea of this this school is proactive. They know what their what their candidates want and they they want to put their best foot forward in terms of recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot there that I think really sums up what we're talking about here. And I, I think the money thing, you know, money is an interesting one, isn't it? But you, you, you raised it. And, and there are two things that made me think is one, you're absolutely right. That competitive salary. And I think that's a problem in all sectors where people say, well, yeah, but what is that? Is that actually going to be suitable for my needs? And you apply for a job and discover it's way lower than your current salary. And, you know, in fact, it's not worth it. Or maybe it's great. Maybe it's really high. I mean, that's one issue then. So, so is it do you think well there should be schools should be a bit more willing to post the amount and what happens about and what have you done if you've ever had to about the you know what's what what currency do you put in the local currency in a generic dollars currency do you have to be honest about saying well it says this but actually when you convert it you're going to get paid in a different salary i mean how does that all work well exactly that's that's well that's a very good question dan um but i i think that um in terms of competitive sometimes people are a little bit cagey about what they're paying because obviously knowledge is power and um the international um school business now is pretty competitive you know so you know publishing maybe publishing people might want to be a little bit cagey about publishing the um publishing the salary but it, it should be proactively um proactively given to any any candidates, anybody, when you're giving an applicant, when you're asking someone for a interview, anything, uh, anytime you're reaching out to a candidate, because it's not worth my time, it's not worth the, uh, the candidate's time to interview for a job that there's absolutely no way that they can afford to um, 
that they can afford to take. They might have commitments at home, um, in their home country. They might have a family, bringing a family with them. So there's no point in interviewing somebody. And again, I, th- I, th- I think that there's also sometimes people are a little bit cagey because there's almost this idea that, oh, well, if they ask, if, if teachers ask about salary, somehow they're not I don't, pure of heart, <laughs> you know, that, that they're, they're in teaching for the wrong reasons or they're showing that they're not interested in the education. But that's absolutely, I mean, that's such a fallacy. And I think that especially when you're trying to recruit international teachers, you really need to be upfront and honest. As for salaries, I think that... Um, I think that a lot of times people do quote it in their local salaries, but I think that having a conversion or anytime you're sharing the salary, having a conversion about what it's equal to is really, is really useful. And again, if you're in a situation where your salary looks low, but you're in um, a context where it's a really, really low cost of living, something like that could also be attached to uh, the salary, giving the salary scale and, um, cost of apartment accommodation is, and then a little figure and a meal out is a little figure. You can kind of mitigate some of those questions about the cost of living and a, a quote, lower salary, unquote, by showing what the cost of living looks like in that in that place. Well, that, that's very interesting. I was going to ask about that as well, because I would have thought that's key, isn't it? Because like, the salary may be lower on paper than what you're currently be paid in one part of the world. But actually, if accommodation is going to be three times cheaper and like say a, a meal out is 10 times cheaper, whatever it is, you know, then then that makes a big difference. And again, I mean, do you do that or have you done it in schools you've worked at where you've kind of made that point that say, yes, the salary is this. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you've worked in Colombia, Ecuador, Italy, you know, really different places, I'm guessing, economically. Did you do that or, or, you know, was it a case of something to explain to a teacher, you know, you know, be aware that cost of living here is a lot cheaper than where you're coming from. So the salary actually is still pretty, pretty good. Right. Anytime that there was a salary for um, anytime I was working in a place where the salary uh, looks a little bit low on paper, um, it was kind of you have to find those other points that you're going to you're going to push. You know, this it's a great country. Um, the cost of living is low. Yeah, you do have to kind of put it into a context because if you, if you just give someone a number. But also the other problem is in places where there's a lower salary, you do the re, one of the reasons you want to be upfront is as I, a lot of times international teachers do have do have commitments in um, their home country. For example, when I've been working in Italy and Spain, both places, the um the teachers coming from Britain sometimes have a house or a mortgage in another country. So they do need to know it in, they, they, people need to know as soon as possible, because even if you can put that low salary in context as a school, you have to be aware that you might be not be able to recruit candidates who have those um, additional financial obligations Mm, in their home country. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and on the other side of it, then away from, away from money and onto you, you talked a bit about this, about, um, the being you know trying to sell the job make it clear what it is how far though have you ever experienced yourself when you've gone for a job or or, you know have you ever run into a situation where you've sort of advertised a job and then it's had to change or anything where people where the you know the actual meat and drink of what the job is going to be is is fair and accurate or you people turn up or you've turned up and then they said oh actually kind of you're doing this and you're thinking well that's not what the job was advertised you know does that happen or is is, is a school's fairly good at that well, it does happen. I mean, and I think that that is um, the the reality of having a um, an international school is you have to be flexible. I mean, point one for any candidate and any school is you have to be flexible. But the question has to be, where does uh, flexibility end and where does it become a totally different job? I mean, I've known people that have 
been told they're going to be um, a PYP coordinator in one place and do um, five lessons of PE. And then when they get to the other school, it's the other way around. I mean, I think that you have to know more or less in um, as a school, you have to be very clear about what the position is. Things happen, right? You can think if you advertise for a year three teacher, it might end up being a year four teacher by the time the school year comes around, or um, you might need to, somebody might need to take on um geography and a little bit of art as well. But I think if you communicate that as soon as you know it, the that's where there's the, the, it is a bit of a blurry line between flexibility and saying something that turns out to be totally different. I think if the, if the school is open and communicating as it goes, then you're more likely to get somebody who doesn't just show up on the first day and get extremely disappointed or feel feel tricked or feel um, like they've had the wool pulled over their eyes. But, you know, again, flexibility is key and people do have to be aware that sometimes job descriptions might change slightly, but again, open communication and letting someone know as soon as possible that this might be an option. I've had to do that as a, as a recruiter. I've had jobs that I thought were, would be perhaps um, one year group or would be um, the send coordination of um, upper primary, but they were, it ended up being upper primary and year seven because we decided we wanted to do uh, some kind of, um, transition year. But the, these kinds of things, I was always communicating with a candidate as I had those changes. Yeah. Yeah. I think your point there about, you know, communication is key, isn't it? And then like, so if you're, if you're fair and open and you say, well, look, this has happened. Okay. It's not maybe ideal, but you're being completely upfront and acknowledging the situation with a candidate or, or a new employee rather than sort of just saying it as if they'll, expect that and you're and they're thinking hang on a minute this isn't the job i thought i was applying for because which seems that seems the key that exactly because then they can buy into that or they can say i'm sorry that's really not for me and then you can get the candidate that's right for you and it, it, it does it doesn't do you or the candidate any good to feel like they've been put in a situation that they weren't expecting and they might not feel 100 comfortable with yeah yeah so if we look at um the idea then of you know actually putting the job advert together is there anything, and you sort of touched this with your sort of like putting the three sort of three words or, or phrases to sort of sum it up, but is there anything else within the international context you think job adverts that you try to put in that, because I'm just thinking people are moving across the world potentially for a job here. It's got to be as insightful as possible. We've talked about cost of living, maybe you might put on, we've put about like the ethos of a school. Is there anything else you can do to make that process as transparent and as open and as clear to a candidate? Or do you think we've sort of touched on the key things here? I think we've touched on the key things. I think that, you know, you want to, if there, if there is any possibility that things might change or instead of a year four teacher, it might be year four or five teacher. If there's any possibility of kind of change or you really need flexibility in what that, what that position might be, it is worth putting it in the advert. Um, putting it, um, put, giving a bit of information about the city can help because especially if you're recruiting to a place that, again, the place I'm living now, Almeria, I had never heard of before before I um, uh, before I got this job, before I applied to the job. And knowing a bit about the city really, really helped me see myself there. Um, so that can help as well. Give a bit of context and a bit of context about the school in general. Of course, I mean, most, most adverts do this. You have a bit of a bit of a blurb about who you are and, and being, I think being really, really thoughtful about what you're looking for in a teacher. When you give like a personal profile or we're looking for teachers with these characteristics, it's really important to think carefully. I mean, obviously there's the things like what, um, what qualifications they need, but going a little bit deeper 
can be helpful. Like, you know, we would like someone who's um, contributes positively to the wider schools. Those kinds of more intangible things are useful. Um, I think that it's important to put the curriculum, obviously, um, what you're teaching, but I also think sometimes as teachers, as recruiters, we can be a little bit too married to people who are, um, have experience in that curriculum. I think that a good teacher can be, can teach any curriculum because it, 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 those are objectives and those are ways to, those are things to teach rather than ways to teach. So I think that, yes, of course you have to put what curriculum it is, but I think also maybe as, um, as recruiters, we should also be thinking, opening our minds a little bit and recruiting people who don't necessarily have, um, at a British national school, don't necessarily have, you know, five years experience. Maybe they're coming from a PYP background or, um, you know, any other background. So yes, that's a good point. Isn't it? Cause I suppose you could put on the job app, make it clear that, you know, you do not need to have specific experience in teaching this. We are open to candidates who are, you can demonstrate they are adaptable to different curriculums or something. And suddenly you open up your talent pool are much wider then, don't you? But in some ways, if you didn't put that, people might go, oh, well, I can't teach that curriculum. So that's not for me. But if you're saying, no, it's worth applying. That seems like a sensible strategy if you're willing to, 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 to do that. Yeah. Right. And I think it's also really, really clear. You need to be very clear about what you, what you can't do. <laughs> um, for example, I, I've been at schools before where we could only recruit within the EU um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, and so we could only <laughs> recruit people from Britain um, because there was a whole bunch of um, uh, problems with visas for any other English speaking country. But we didn't, for the first year we were there, we didn't put that on the applicants, um, um, on the candidate spec. So if we were getting people applying from all over the place, and of course that wastes your time as a recruiter and it wastes their time because people are filling out applications. They're maybe getting a bit excited about going to the school and then you have to kind of write back and say, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we, we can't. I mean, we can't even, we can't even go any further with this application. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is, it seems like an obvious thing to do when you sort of spot that, you think, oh, we need to change that. But I guess in the process of putting an ad out, you might think, right, yeah, great, we want this, we want this, we want this. But you sort of forget the, the, the not the negatives, but let's say the, the barriers. You know, it's like, well, actually, we can't apply, uh, employ someone without that. So we've got to put that in. Yeah, that, that's a good point too. And, and actually, that brings us on nicely, I think, to the issue of, of ghosting, which is something that I don't know if this is an issue you've come across yourself or you've heard about or, or you know, experienced, but it's something that a couple of people have been in touch with me recently to say about almost out of frustration, I feel. They're saying, you know, we apply for jobs and we seem to get interest and then we hear nothing back. And whether that's at the kind of application stage and then sort of putting something forward secondary enough, not getting it, or actually having an interview, you know, making the effort to go to interview or be on a Zoom interview. And then hearing nothing back and, and very frustrating. And I think, you know, I've experienced that in, in not in ghosting, but I've experienced thing where you apply and you have an interview, it seems to go well, and then you get a very generic, thank you, but, you know, we're not, we're not considering you for this job. And you think, okay, you reply, ask for a bit more information as to why, and you never hear anything. And it seems a bit rude. It seems a bit like, you know, you've taken the effort to come to the interview. You're a big organization, you should be able to reply. What's your view on all that then? It's a big topic. It's quite, it's quite an emotive one in a way. So wait, let's start. Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, I have. I have. And I think that 
Um, and I'm, I think that I'm being honest. I think that when I first started doing recruitment, recruitment, I was probably guilty of that a little bit. Um, not completely ghosting necessarily, but kind of leaving it way too long to get back to candidates just because you're getting so focused. I mean, recruitment always comes, I mean, any time of year in the school year is a ridiculously busy time, but you know, this time of year, especially there's maybe exam prep, there's reports, there's, um, you, you kind of end of the year push, uh, revisions of school plays, all this kind of thing going on. So, you know, you, you can sometimes get really laser focused on recruitment and it's not recruitment. Isn't just about getting the right person. It's also making sure that any potential candidates have a, have a positive experience. Right. So I, yeah, I said, as I said, I think that in, in, in the past, I have been guilty of that just because a, a month for me, when I'm recruiting, once I kind of have my main people and if I'm interviewing over a month, doesn't seem like a long time to me. But for a candidate, it's an eternity. And I really think that fast turnaround as a as a recruiter is something that we absolutely have to do um, just because either you're interested in a candidate or you're not. And if you're not, it's the only fair to to let them know so they can go on and um, it, it, it's, it can't just be about what the school needs. Recruitment is a, is a relationship. And even if you, if you get somebody, if you interview them, you're, uh, you're setting up, um, an expectation that, um, that, that there's, there should, should be some further feedback. And yeah, if I try to, um, when, especially, when I've um, had an interview, if I decide that person's not the right person for a job, I try to do that within a week. Um, or if it's going to be longer, I will say like, you know, we'll be recruiting for the next two weeks. We'll get back. And I try to be pretty sharpish on those deadlines. Um, and, you know, I do try to, um, you know, have a more or less a template that I use, but of course, try to put back in, like I was really during your interview, I was really interested to hear. Yeah. I really enjoyed our talk about, um, the uh, positive discipline that you're doing in your class, you're trying to do something like that. And when somebody comes back to you, yeah, give them a a few minutes feedback. Um, You spend a few minutes giving them positive feedback or saying, it might just be that a better candidate was there, or it might be that I was a little um, hesitant about this answer or, you know, whatever the, whatever the feedback is um, giving that, and usually, usually, usually the reality is just a better candidates appeared. You know, it's not that one person has done a terrible job occasionally, but usually it's that a better candidate's there. And there's not necessarily anything you can say, but even if you just find one or two little kernels, that's, I think it's, 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 it's useful because even if that person isn't the right candidate for you, uh, they might be the right candidate for you in five years time. They might, their sister or brother or colleague might be the right candidate for you. And if you are seen to be really flaky, uh, really unreliable in terms of recruitment, then, you know, you've just knocked out a whole bunch of people who will, who probably won't even bother applying. That's a really interesting point. And it's one I was thinking about, just thinking about this, this chat. And I was thinking, yeah, if 10 people apply, say, and you interviewed 10 people and nine of them have, a, have an experience where they get ghosted or they don't get any feedback or they get a kind of curt, no thanks, but no thanks. And then you ignore their follow-ups and one person gets the job. You think, oh, great, we've got our candidate. Fantastic. But that's nine people you've now sent off who are going to say, oh, I had a really bad experience with that school that when I re- applied there applied there, and they, you know, they say that to nine other people. And suddenly, you know, the word of mouth to your point there is it might work against you down the line that a good, the perfect candidate for another job thinks, oh, I heard that school wasn't very good at their recruitment and was a bit, bit rude or ghosted my friend you know 
I don't think I apply there. And it seems like, yeah, it's not a good strategy to get into because as you've said, and I was thinking about maybe in the people I'm hearing from are saying, it, people remember that and it, it sticks in their mind and they, they kind of can count against you in the long term. So it's worth sort of, as you're saying there, like kind of thinking, no, I need to be honest. I need to give some feedback. Even if it's a short thing, people appreciate that, don't they? And it can be useful to them. Or it could just be like, look, you were a good candidate and you don't want to doubt yourself, but the person who came in had even more experience or was just had this extra bit. And it all, it all adds up, right? Right. They've got experience with that year group that we're looking for, or they've got, um, you know, they've, we're looking for someone who can maybe do um, a bit of uh, PE and, you know, they've, they've got that experience and it was super, it's, you know, that, that just makes them a little bit more of a, a better all rounder for this position and, you know, nothing against you, but yeah. And I think that it, I don't think it's just negative about the recruitment, they aren't just necessarily people who, if you have that experience where you're ghosting other people, they're not just going to be negative about the recruitment. If that's the only interaction you have with the school, um, the, the word of mouth isn't necessarily just going to be about negative. Uh, I hear there's not so good with the recruitment. It's going to be a, like that school. How do they treat their staff? You know what I mean? There's almost like a um, it, it's it, it becomes um, uh, it, it, it's a micro thing of recruitment, but it comes sort of a macro impression about the school. And it really can be a bad reputation. It can build a bad reputation that you're, you're, you're cavalier with your staff or something like that. So, cause that's the only interaction the person has had with the school. So they're going to, they're going to extrapolate out from that. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, it sounds like, you know, I think, I think that's a topic that we, we've sort of covered quite well there because it sums up why it's a problem and why it shouldn't happen and, and so forth. So, so the, the next thing I want to talk about then is, is it's all in a way it's moving on from recruit, but it's obviously a key part of it is, is how do you make sure then you've got your candidate, you've, you've offered them the job and they've accepted. How do you make sure that process from the moment they accept, the moment they arrive, runs correctly, runs smoothly, that there's no, I don't know, hidden moments or kind of saying to them, oh, you, you need to do this now and or we're, we're going to do this. And they think, hang on a minute. And it starts on the wrong foot, you know, because okay, I can imagine it's a period where it's a bit, like you said, like you said earlier, something it's like, for the school, it's just, oh, they'll be here in a month. For that person, it's a month of, oh, I've got to move my life. I've got to think about a new school. It's stressful, right? How can a school make sure they, they help that period is as good as possible? I think you have to be proactive. And I would even go, uh, even, even take a little step back then before you even, before that person even signs, they should have a breakdown of their salary. They should know what their salary is going to be. They should know what currency it's going to be in. They should know uh, how it's going to be paid in. Um, so they know what the job is. Um, and you, if there's, if you have any details of like, this is going to be a year three position, give it to them. Or you can say like, this will be a year three, year four. We're not sure. We'll let you know in this amount of time. There might be a bit of drama teaching or whatever, whatever the, whatever the, the, the job, the job description might end up being. You need to be communicating with that before they sign. Um, because the last thing people want, uh, when, when you are being an international teacher and you're moving, you are moving everything. You're moving your life. You're, you're making, as soon as you sign that contract, you're all of a sudden thinking, okay, how do I get my, um, how do I find accommodation? How do I move my whole life there? How do I move my dog there? Um, <laughs> um, all these different things ha start happening as soon as you put pen to paper. And the last thing you want is to feel like, they pull uh, a school has pulled the rug out from underneath you. So before I even sign, make sure that everybody has all that information. Make sure that they know in terms of accommodation, what is the accommodation look like? Make sure that they know what medical insurance looks like. Um, I, I spent, you know, my whole, uh, my first part of my adult life in Britain, 
and then the, a lot of the rest of it in the EU. And so for me, medical coverage means one thing, but I have pre-existing conditions. And when I moved to Ecuador, I didn't even consider that that would be an issue. I didn't even consider that the medical insurance there, you know, th- that my pre-existing condition would need to be uh, would need to be considered. Would, there would be an impact. So I think that it's important that you know speaking to people. And it's really strange because in no, you know, in in schools in the UK, you don't have full discussions with people about. Let's talk about your finances. Let's talk about your health situation. But if you're asking someone to uproot their entire life, I think you as a school have a pastoral care duty to make sure that those those that people have all the information for those things. So things like medical, um, if you're in the EU or if you're in a country that has full medical coverage, it's not a problem. But if you're in a country where or uh, you're in a situation where you're an employer and you're providing private medical insurance, make sure that they know what does that look like? What does that, um, you know, are, are there monthly payments? Are there, uh, do you have to pay out of pocket? Those details make all the difference. Uh, so now let's go to the month beforehand. Sorry, sorry to back up. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's the insights we want. Yeah, no, let, and then let's move to the, so you've done that, you're, you're providing the information. What comes next? I think what comes next is just kind of just contact. Um, and I think it's just worthwhile um, Again, a, a month is a long time. Like, for example, if you sign a contract, if you get a, a position in um, March or April, you know, usually the school will contact you, um, you at the end of the year, kind of say, like, here's your new team or something like this. But I think even before that, it's worthwhile to start drip feeding things, just kind of like, uh, kind of like we haven't forgot about you. And also the, that way you can pick up on any hesitancy. If you send a message in um uh, two or three weeks after you've recruited somebody and just kind of uh, touch base and say, um, we've got some other recruits. We'd really like to put you in touch with that. Or we've got a mentor for you for next year. We'd really like to put you in touch with that. So you can ask any questions you'd like to. Then all, re- all of a sudden they feel like they're being taken care of. And then if someone's slow to respond or if somebody seems a little bit hesitant, you can pick up on that pretty early. And um, as a recruiter, that's really, really useful because you can, you know, maybe say like, hey, let's have another little conversation. Um, You know, I'm really excited about next year. Let's talk about let's, you know, uh, let's see if you have any other questions or you can make even if you make that offer, then anybody who's slightly hesitant, because that does happen. People sign sign a contract and then they realize, oh, oh, no, what have I done? Or they think, oh, I can't move to a new country or they have a life experience or they just decide that, or, or they're interviewing with other schools and they finally, they go offer their dream job. This all happens in international recruiting. So the more little contacts you can have, um, the better. Um, and I think that one thing that is really hard to get exactly right, and I've seen it done wrong in both directions, is how much information do you give each candidate uh, in terms of like policies and handbooks and planning um, I've been at schools where I asked for things. I never really received them. So I kind of rocked up and I was just like, hey, I guess I'm just having to, I'm having to go from a, from a, from a dead start to try to get all that information. And that's not good. But on the other hand, you know, the last thing somebody wants if they're trying to relocate their life is a summer of homework where they've got, they've been given like 95 policies and they have like the policy on, um, you know, um, the handwriting policy. Do you need the handwriting policy to read the handwriting policy in the summer before you get to a school? Probably not. <laughs> do you do you do you need to see the staff handbook? 
yeah, probably. So it's worthwhile to, it's worthwhile to put, I find that like the things that are really important, like staff handbook, um, maybe, um, maybe some policies like behavior policies, uh, uh, safe recruiting policy, anything like that, or, um, or your child protection, anything like that should go to the candidates. But then having it someplace where the staff can access it is really useful. So they can, they can read at their own time. They give them access to a shared drive, perhaps, or, um, even a shared drive that you've created just for new recruits or something, something like that. So people don't feel overwhelmed. Um, and I think just always just check in, make sure you know, um, how and when the uh, people are planning on coming to school um, and planning on coming to the country as well. If you can arrange people to meet people at the airport, if that's appropriate, then great. If not, at least know what they're doing so you can check in. Oh, I hear your flights today. You know, have a good one. Maybe arrange a follow-up conversation at some point. Um, if you want to, to just kind of feel like you're touching base, put them in touch with their new team. Um, I think these are all things that you can do in the month leading up. And again, I think, you know, you never really, um, August in some ways, even though it's sort of technically a holiday, um, at least in a lot of European schools, I've, I've found that August is the one, the month that I'm in some ways the most anxious because you know, you're, you're, you want to be ready for your new staff and you, res- you need to respond quickly to your new staff. Just again, every single thing you do, every micro um, interaction you have with them is going to be, this is what the school is. Yes, I thought your point there about about you know the balance between too much information and not enough information is, is a really good one because I think we all know that when you start a new job and yeah, sometimes you get sort of nothing and you never hear from them and you're thinking mm, I'm assuming it's all okay and I'm turning up and, and what, where do I go again and all that and other places send you yeah oh can't wait to get on board and they send you fact sheets and they send you welcome gifts and they send you great big documents full of everything and you're looking at it going what you know what and and it, and it always sounds so officious doesn't it so like you know the the email policy, you know, you mustn't send emails, you know, you can't access your personal email and you, and you get to the company, you discover like, well, actually everyone does and it's fine. But, <laughs> and, but of course they have their policies, that's fine. But when's the right time to introduce that? And I suspect it's interesting you said in a way, you don't know if you've ever got this right or if it ever can be done right, because I suppose it's for the candidate will, will have their own personal preference. Certainly some people probably do like getting all the information because they're very analytical and they want to know everything. And others are a bit more like, oh yeah, I'll sort that out when I get there kind of mindset. And, Right. Getting it right is probably hard, but I suppose as long as you're trying your best to meet as many people's requirements as possible, that's all you can hope for in that situation, probably. Yeah, or you can say, you know, let me know if you need any of these documents. Some people, some people learn by seeing and doing. So if you give them 75, you know, 75 policies, it is absolutely not going to stick in their heads. And again, a lot of things are so much easier to understand when you're in a context. If you get like a lunchroom policy, but you can't even envisage the lunchroom and you don't know what this process is and you know what the system is, that's not going to help you, you know? And so I think that um, giving people access to those documents if needed, but only supplying the most, um, the most pertinent, but supplying them is really, really useful. And again, putting them in contact with people um, in their um, new year group, or, and um, giving them a, uh, giving new people a mentor is also really helpful because again in in international schools you have this weird as a, as a manager you have a weird position you're not just um, an administrator you're not just an educator you're also you know you're also you also do have a certain pastoral care for the people you bring you for the staff you recruit and 
you know, it's very strange for people. And I've been in this situation when, when for people to be coming in my office on the first day of school, the first day when the teachers come back and talking about the, the hot water in their apartment. That's a situation, again, you'd never get in, in the UK. And to take away some of the have, always having to go to the head teacher, always having to go to the principal about these things, um, and to take away a little of the discomfort, sometimes it's useful to build in that other kind of pastoral layer of a mentor. That can yeah. Help. It's it's a very good point, though, isn't it? I have I in a way I've never really thought about it like that. But you're absolutely right. Is if a, if you start a new job in in the UK, of course it comes with you know the kind of all new job and scary things. But you don't have to worry about what side of the road you drive home on when you leave, or how what what does the language mean? How do I buy a pint of milk? You know where do I get a cup of tea? You know, I'm really generic things I'm coming up with. But those kind of you know you wouldn't have that problem if you go to a school ten miles in the opposite direction to your past school. You just turn up and go. Oh, what's the homework policy? And now you drive home and you pop into Tesco's and. You know, and, and life's normal for you. But when you move to Ecuador, it suddenly is like, how the hell does this country work? You know, it's totally different. And, and you've got to do that and your new job. And the only people you can reach out to are your other members, your new colleagues who you don't really know. So I suppose it, it feeds into that, you know, if they've made themselves feel approachable, feel welcoming, feel like, yeah, here's your mentor. You can ask them anything, not just the po- teaching policy, but also how do I, you know, navigate the metro system? Yeah, yeah. How do I get a phone? How do I get a SIM card? These things are really important because if, you, if those go wrong, it doesn't matter how good a teacher you are, you're going to feel stressed, your well-being is going to suffer, you're not going to be, you might think, I, I want to leave, I'm going to go back to where I was, I'm going to, I can't handle this. Massively important. Really. I mean, I feel, I feel like that's a podcast for another day because we could talk about all these things about how do you onboard new staff? And I think we won't go there. I think we'll save that and maybe do nothing because I think that would be, we'd be here for another, another 35 minutes or so. But I think, it, I think your point, you, you've kind of, made the point clear though that those things matter and you need to make the onboarding from the moment they sign or even just before they sign and onwards welcoming so that those issues when they come up can be te- dealt with in a, in a nice way because they know a bit about school they're ready for it they're not feeling like i don't know anyone here whatever it might be but certainly on the recruitment side on transparent recruitment on, on ghosting on getting you know the job descriptions right on and you know, welcoming those new staff on board i think we've really covered some great stuff there and i hope people listen to this will either be those who are going, yep, we do all this, great. There'll be those thinking, hmm, maybe we need to sort of rethink some of our things. Maybe we need to get a bit better about how we reach out. Or there'll be international teachers thinking about new job seeking. The, that's what I need to look for. That's the kind of school that if they do these things I'm hearing about, I can, I can trust them. I think that would be a good move because I think there's so many people who will benefit from this. Yeah, Dan, can I just add one thing that we haven't course, touched on that's super course. important? It's accommodation. It's accommodation. And um, I think that different schools have different ideas, but the biggest thing that people are worried about is accommodation when they're going to a new school. Um, Almost more than the school itself. The job is teaching and the context might change, but where am I going to live is a huge thing. And I think that that's sometimes where people can fall down with the transparent recruiting as well. There's might be costs concerned with um, agencies, in this country, you might need three months rent. This is how much rents cost. And so anything, uh, you're going to have to find the apartment yourself, or we're going to have to put you in touch with an agent or come a week early so you can find accommodation. It is so important that you are 100% clear with, with people what the accommodation situation is and also how the school can help you. Because, you know, if you're asking schools... Um, to outlay, uh, you're, sorry, if you're asking candidates to outlay, you know, come to come work to my with my, my school. I hope you have an, a spare ten thousand euros to get you settled in. You know, yeah. you need to have those conversations. Or don't worry, we know that those there's those costs. We know there's agencies costs. We know you need a big deposit. But what we'll do is, as a school, we will uh, 
pay your deposit. We'll take it out. And then, um, in, in this much, um, month, um, per month, if you want. And then at the end, you can have whatever you, whatever's left of your deposit. So anything like that, that you can do as a school, be proactive about those because again, you need to, it's a really fine balance in, in, in international teaching. You want to um, like show the best of your school and you want to get people to come and you want to say all the great things about the school. And, you know, sometimes the difficult, hard, ugly, nitty gritty, um, you, you know, people kind of want to put that away. No, no, don't look at this right now. Look at all the great things about the school. But the problem is, as soon as you do that, you might think that you're um, in, uh, in a best case scenario, you might just think you're putting your best fit, best face forward. But it can look like you're hiding things or you're not being completely honest. It can look like you're, you're trying, again, you're trying to, um, you're, you're trying to pull a fast one on people who are coming to there. And, and as soon as people feel that, the trust breaks down. And then, so it's, it's, it's really important to be proactive about these pretty big and pretty hard conversations straight yeah. away. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, moving house is stressful again, within country, isn't it? As they, as we might say, but doing it overseas and like you said, foreign currencies and different rules and regs and all that. Yeah, you need to be upfront about it. And I think that's underpins all of this, isn't it? It's just about being open and communicating and not hiding anything. And because that's all people always, like you said, they're always are wary of that. And that most 99% of people are more are totally receptive to someone who's honest who says, look, it is a bit tricky here. You do have to do this, but we can help. That removes the stress. If you don't tell them and they discover it themselves three, a month later, like, what? I have to do three months deposit. Why did no one tell me? Like you said, trust, concerns, or if you're already a bit reticent, you might back out. Communication is key. I think I think that's what we're showing, um, which is great. And I think you know, as I said in my little bit before, you've added this bit, which I think was, I'm so glad you did because I think it's a really important point to raise too. But I think you know we've touched on so many good points, and I hope that whether you're a you know an existing school can say, yeah, we do all this. Your school thinking, yeah, maybe we need to improve a bit, or a Kansas thinking, I need to look out for these things. I think it's been really insightful. So thank you so much for sharing your opinions, and to Charlie for for chiming in. It was interesting. I thought he chimed in. On some questions where he's probably agreeing, go, yes, 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 I agree, I agree. And then other questions he seemed sort of, I'm not going to get involved in this one. So that was nice. I think the financial side, he's not too, he's not too interested about the international moving. I think he has a few words to yeah, say. Yeah, he was very much like, yes, 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 yes. I, I, well, he's moved too, I suppose. So he's seen as like, yes, and don't forget us pets. You know, we've got to come too. But um, no, that's great. As I say, thank you so much for sharing your insights as always. And um, yep, hope everyone's enjoyed listening. Thank you so much, Dan.